Let's pray. God, we sing, oh, praise Him, but that's You. It's You that we're talking about. It's You who is holy. It's You who is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. We sing, oh, praise Him, and God, I'm not sure we even entirely understand what that means because we live in a world that is so unholy. We live in a world that is such a mess that we have created. God, You are our hope and You are our salvation. And so as we gather here, we're going we're gonna to talk about one of the foundational things that people hear every week in this place. But God, it isn't even about us, not those three things of ours, that they're all about You. We want to be grounded in You. We want to be rooted in You, God. We want to grow in You. So I pray that You would open our ears and our, our hearts, our minds, to whatever it is that You might have for us this morning. God, and we just thank You. We thank You for who You are and that you indeed are worthy of all of our worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So last week we talked about our mission statement. Our mission statement is to love Jesus, to love people, and to teach people to love Jesus. Talked about where it came from, how it's in the Bible, it's rooted in Scripture, it's easy to memorize, and you know the key thing about it is it's easy to put into practice. We can love Jesus. All of us can. We can love people. We can even love people we don't like if we choose to. And then it's a little harder, but we can even teach people to love Jesus. Those three simple phrases are so foundational to who we are and what we're about and what we're called to be. Our three things are similar. You hear them every week before we start a service. Cindy did it this morning. What are the three things? The Bible, prayer, and worship. So simple. You can memorize them. Give yourself three seconds. There you go. You just did it. Bible, prayer, and worship. We're going to talk about why they're important and why they matter. We say that because it's a promise to you of what you can expect when you come here for a worship service. So for 13 years, every single service, it includes Christmas, Resurrection Sunday, every single time we gather, we start with our three things. Now, in fairness, we could devote three weeks of messages, one to each of them, one to why we are rooted in the Bible, one why we're rooted in prayer, and one why we're rooted in worship. But we're going to go through them very quickly. And what I hope is by the end of my time up here that you have an understanding of why it is that they're important to us. So if you were to travel back with me to 2010 to the the very first conversations about this place. They began in January. A guy named Harlow came to my office and he talked about church and what church could be. Not always what it was and what we saw, but what it could be. And those conversations began and and there were seven people that summer that got together and launched what has become the open door that you know. Back then, all of this, all of it, was beyond our wildest dreams. We didn't know if we would make it to Christmas, and we were starting in the fall. We had no idea what was going to happen. But we knew we trusted God, and we knew there were some things that we had to be serious about. We couldn't have imagined what it is that God has allowed us to become, because God has truly been at work in this place. But we knew that it was going to take a seriously strong foundation of some very simple things that we could keep straight and not stray from. Some very clear biblical truths were going to be the only way that we would please God and have any chance of succeeding in His eyes. And so we had conversations, a lot of them, because we were clear on what God was calling us to be and what God was not calling us to be. 
So let's take a look back at our beginnings together, not to pat ourselves on the back, rather because I want to look at our history together so that you can see our history has actually been a thoughtful, prayerful, God-ordained progression that has led us to where we are. And if today is your very first Sunday with us, you're going to get an insider's glimpse into who we are, where we've come from, what we're about, and what we're going to do in the future. So back in the early days, it was fun. I, I met this guy, Harlow. He had been a part of the church that I was serving, and we got to be fast friends. He had uh, grown up in our area, spent a long time in his career living out of the state, and moved back with his wife. Harlow was the one that first spoke out loud the vision that became the open door. He became a dear friend and a mentor to me and an encourager to both Deidre and I. We talked about what was church and what... In the Bible, is church supposed to be? What had we made it and what could we make it? What had happened along the way? What had become? What had we done with it? We mourned why so many churches had become and chosen to be something that didn't even resemble the Bible anymore. And I remember his statement to me one day. He said, God deserves so much better. God deserves so much better. So we started talking about what we would be, what would it look like. We knew that Acts 2, that was going to be our our starting point. That was going to be our launching because that was the beginning of the very first Christian church. If you're going to start something that is going to resemble something else, go back to the source. So we went back to the book of Acts chapter 2. We began there and we realized that there was a few things that the church did in the early days, but there was very few. They, they weren't cluttered with all the stuff that sometimes we make church about now. And, and the first thing we talked about was, what are we going to do about Holy Communion and baptism? Well, we knew that we were going to do those. We had to. Those weren't Jesus saying, I'd like it if you did. Those were commands. They were commands of Jesus that we be baptized as believers in Him and become disciples of His and that we understood that our, our salvation was received from Him and Him alone. And then the other one was, was Holy Communion. We're to remember the Lord's death until He comes again. Those were non-negotiable. We didn't have to talk about them. Those things we knew were going to be a part of what we were going to be as a church. But what else? When it came to baptism, it wasn't a question of if, but who and at what age and when. What was it going to look like? And so when we started as a church, I gathered with our first group of elders and said, we need to talk about baptism because we live in a culture that very much is about infant baptism, but we need to take a look at who we are and what the Bible says. And so we did a deep dive for a number of months into baptism. And there's two things that came out as clear to us. The first one was over and over and over in the New Te- Old Testament and even into the New Testament, including Jesus and his parents. We saw the statement that the parents brought the child to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord's service. Dedicated, 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 over and over. It's important that parents make a statement in front of their faith community that they understand the responsibility that they have to this child and the larger faith community to raise him to know the Lord. And then we go to the New Testament and we see over and over and over the phrase, believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. An infant no matter how wonderful your child or grandchild might be. Can't believe. And so we pretty quickly came upon an understanding that if we're going to be a Bible-teaching church, we need to follow the biblical model, not the model most of us have grown up with, and dedicate our children and have the church partner with parents 
to do everything that we could to raise that child in a knowledge and a love for Jesus until the day that they could declare that they believe in Him themselves and be baptized. So I understand we started in uh, September. We just celebrated our anniversary uh, a week ago, and uh, two weeks ago, and it was September. I just got the date. September 19th, 2010. It was just weeks into our being a church that we had our first dedication. So in my mind, I kind of follow the tenant boys as they get older because one of them was the first one we dedicated. So we believe in baptism, but we also believe in dedicating kids to the Lord. What do we want to accomplish as a church? We want to partner with families to the point that those kids grow up and they say, you know what, I believe in Jesus like you do, Mom and Dad. I believe in Jesus the way I hear about Him at church, and I'm ready to be baptized. Well, last Sunday we had the privilege of baptizing ten people who made a public proclamation of their willingness to be obedient to Jesus and give their lives to them, lives to Him. And a couple of them were very young kids who said, "You know what? It's time. I know. I know what this is about." What a privilege when ten people step forward and say, I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm going to live my life for Him. That means that this year alone, more than 50 people have given their life to Jesus and stepped out in baptism off of our beach. 50 people. That is a statement. That is a loud statement of them declaring to the world that they believe in Jesus, but it's also a statement of us living out our mission. Back to my visits with Harlow. I've never shared how the foundation of our, our church was fueled. And I think if we're going to have this conversation about the three things, we've got to start with that. Uh, Harlow and I spent a lot of time drinking that good old Minnesota beverage coffee. A lot of it. But Harlow didn't like a regular cup of coffee. Harlow was a traveled guy. He'd been around the world. Uh, he had uh, a preference beyond just that normal black cup of coffee. He liked a cafe Americano. A very specific kind of coffee. And it was fun because as we went to different places, more often than not, he would tell the barista, this is, this is the right way to make this. Lovingly help them understand the proper Cafe Americano. I became a, fan, became a fan of those thanks to him. I order them still to this day just as a reminder of the time that I spent with him. But it was on those visits that we landed on the three things. The importance of the Bible and prayer and worship. And after we'd worked through them a little bit, we brought them back to the original seven for discussion. And we looked at Scripture in the early church in the book of Acts and how they did things and how we could duplicate it. And we landed on those as the three must-dos for every worship service we have. Number one, preaching straight from the Bible, always. Not books about the Bible, not how we feel about the Bible, not our thoughts on the Bible, but preaching on the Bible. Second one, prayer, because God calls us, invites us, welcomes and encourages us to communicate with Him through prayer. And three, worship. Because all of our lives, everything that we do, not just the time that we sing in church, everything that we do should give glory to God. And that's the nature of worship. So let's start with the first of the three, the Bible. What is the Bible? It's the foundational testament of our faith. The Bible is God's living Word to all people in all times, in all circumstances. The Bible is unchanging, it is irreplaceable, and it is without error. And there's once in a while people say, yeah, but the Bible has contradictions. Well, the the contradictions aren't so much contradictions as they're the telling of the same events from different people that saw it from different circumstances in different ways. We're getting a more full story, a more full history 
of the events. Do I believe that the Bible has errors? I do not. I believe the Bible is absolutely what God wants us to have to understand Him. The statement we make is all of our messages come straight out of the Bible because we believe the Bible is God's Word to us and it's as relevant today as the days that it was written. Why do we say days? Because the Bible was written by uh, over 1,500 years. There was a number of days that that book was being recorded. The Bible, God's written Word to us, is the written foundation of our faith. When we read the Bible, we can experience God's character, God's personality, God's will for His church, for humankind, and for each one of us as individuals. We can experience in the opening pages God's joy in creation as well as know God's plan for salvation for us in Jesus after we introduce sin into God's good creation. It would be pretty important that we not stray from a book that has that much information in it. While I was at the seminary, I was in a worship class. And in the worship class, we were studying the hymnal, the denominational hymnal. And we were going through and we were having tests on all of the lines and all of the parts and uh, every section of it by page number, by, by broken down number, by rubric number, all the little red numbers. We had to know what they meant and what they referred to. We had to know the Latin names and understanding of everything that was used in the service. And I finally had to ask the question, why do we spend so much time memorizing every part of this hymnal when this is my second year here? We've not been asked to memorize one Bible verse. Apparently, that was the wrong question. Silly me dared to ask if the Bible shouldn't be held in higher regard than the denominational hymnal. The professor stood up as tall as he could, stared straight at me at the back of a classroom of 60 people. He said, I wrote this hymnal. This hymnal is my work. This hymnal is Scripture. And I knew I was in the wrong place. So I did what I should have done and kept my mouth quiet for about four seconds. And I said, this hymnal contains Scripture, but it's not Scripture. It contains your words and your work, but it's not God's Word. I got kicked out of the seminary that day. I, I had to petition my way back. Uh, he and I both went to the dean of students and presented our view of the events of that day. They never told me that I was right. So the hymnal contains Scripture, but it isn't Scripture. That's why we talk about the Bible here, not books about the Bible. I petitioned my way and got back in and was able to complete my study there. Unlike a church hymnal, the Bible is God's Word and it's perfect. It's everything that we need. It's perfect in all of its fullness that God wants us to have. There's things that I wish God said in the Bible, but He doesn't because it's something I don't need to know right now. It is complete and full between the front and the back cover for everything it is that God needs us to know. The Bible even warns us that we are not to add from it or to take away from it. We can question it. We can doubt it. We can not like it. But we are not welcome to alter its words or its meaning as some have done. When I prepare a message for Sunday, I always start in the same place. I start with the text. What is it in the Bible that we're going to look at today? What does the Bible actually say? Not what have I been taught or what have I read or what do I want it to say or how can I twist it around to make a point that I want to make? 
But what do God's words actually say in the text that He's given us? Then I take a look at what did the people who first heard those words where they were spoken to, how did they hear them? The folks that were living in the day that it was written, how did they hear and understand those words? What's the context surrounding that text? Because it's a different part of the world and a different time in history, and we don't think and understand life the same way, and so helping context is really important. Finally, I say, what is it that God is saying to us today through this passage? How do we apply God's Word to our own lives and to our own church? How can sinful people apply God's perfect Word to their world? So when I talk to someone about speaking in front of our congregation, I always tell them the same thing. Start with the text, help us understand the context, and then go to the application. That's what God's Word is there, that we apply it to our lives. All too often I've seen and heard and watched the Bible be used like a hammer that, that someone uses to hit sinners over the head with how bad they are. It's not the purpose of God's Word. It's not to be used to humiliate or embarrass or hold some spiritual superiority over another person because you have more Bible verses memorized than they do. God's Word is there to help us to see God and to know Him. And once we do, God's Holy Spirit begins to go to work on us. It begins to correct. God begins to correct and initiate changes in us. I know this is true because when I go back and I read about the life of Jesus, not once does Jesus tell someone that they're going to hell. Jesus always pointed the way to heaven. Jesus never in His life on earth stood as judge over the people He encountered. He will one day. At His second coming, He will stand on Judgment Day and He will judge everyone who's ever lived. But while He lived and in God's Word, Jesus always points the way to heaven. And He always did it in love. Second thing we talk about is prayer. Every week you hear say something about, uh, we believe in prayer because God has invited us to be people of prayer. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is and what Jesus has done for us. God invites each and every one of us to come to Him directly because of Jesus. Imagine that for a moment. The creator of the universe that started with nothing. The word in Latin is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created everything that there is. The God of the created the universe invites you to bring your concerns, your celebrations, your fears, your sadness, your hurts, your anger. Invites you to bring it to Him. You know why? Because He cares. The Creator of the universe invites you into a personal relationship with Him because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we've been given a direct line of communication to God, the Creator of the universe. Now, I know this is going to step on some toes, but it's some facts we just got to cover. The Bible does not tell us to pray to the saints. It does not instruct us to pray to Mary or anyone else. God says, you can come to me directly because of Jesus. The Bible even goes on and says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf in groans and whispers, in our pain, in our struggle, when we don't even know what to pray. God is there to help us pray. And God isn't just interested in the big stuff. He's not just interested in the 911 prayers. God invites you to bring all of your stuff to Him. Whether you're happy and celebrating, whether you're sad and mourning, whether you're confused, whether you're angry, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, Starting in verse 16, excuse me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then verse 19 almost 
Sounds like an add-on, but it's not an add-on. It says, do not quench the Spirit. That's an exclamation point. Do not quench the Spirit. It is God's Holy Spirit that moves in us and in the world around us in a way that we can't begin to be able to comprehend. And if you don't know this, if you're a part of the Open Door family, you are incredibly blessed because you are anchored by a team of faithful and prayerful people who labor behind the scenes and for our church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every time we've got a worship service, when we're inside, there's lights during the service back here and they come to the front of the uh, worship space afterwards. If there's a light on, there is someone there that is willing to pray with and to pray for you. When it says pray without ceasing, these folks do that on your behalf. When I say warriors, I mean that they're warriors because these are the ones who engage the front lines of our ministry efforts. They are the prayer warriors who have accepted the call and the responsibility to pray on your behalf for you and with you. Truly, they're individuals who pray without ceasing. And you are blessed to be surrounded and anchored by them as your foundation. I often wonder why there's not lines up to the the lights where the prayer signs are on. And we're a pretty shy bunch here in Minnesota. And I think for most people, as I talk to them, the attitude is, well, I don't want to go up for prayer because I don't want anyone to know something's wrong with me. Guess what? There's something wrong with everybody. When I see people going to our prayer ministry to pray, do you know what I think? It, It makes me tearful. Because I realize that person may feel like they have to humble themselves, but they understand where the real power is. They understand how to connect with the one who can actually do something. Sometimes our prayers are just whining and complaining, but you know what? God can do something about them. The person you want and complain to can't. And so rather than letting those prayer warriors and those prayer places, whether outside or in here, rather than just letting them see, realize that you have access with someone who cares about you who knows Jesus so well, to the true power that we have waiting for us just for the asking. The third one is worship. When we gather, everything that we do should be worship. God alone is worthy of our worship and praise. I say the people who are up here are gifted with musical ability, but they do not worship for us. They lead us in worship. We have the opportunity to worship for an audience of one, our Father who's in heaven. Oh, praise Him is the phrase from that last song. I've got a friend, a guy I did a a wedding for very early on in my ministry. He's got a big tattoo on his arm, and he made a a, a picture description of the audience of one that he lives for. Everything that we do, folks, everything that we do in worship and in life is for an audience of one. That's our Father who's in heaven. Now, you may made me like me. I do not like the sound of my voice. I don't like going back and listening to messages to try to learn from them. I don't like the sound of my voice. Hear me sing? I really don't like the sound of my voice. That's why you don't hear me sing. So I'm really glad that Deidre sings. But here's the thing. I know for a fact that my voice is a gift from God, and God gave it to me to worship Him. I can't stand listening to myself sing out loud. But I know that the God who gave me my voice and the God who gave you your voice rejoices when we use it to worship and praise Him. I know that He does. God loves to hear His people sing. In fact, Revelation 4 and 5 talks about what heaven is like. So heaven, uh, there's great description in the book of Revelation, great descriptions. But to, to make it real simple, heaven 
as described in 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, is God's throne with God seated on His throne and His Son seated at His right hand and the angels and all the people who will fill heaven for all of eternity surrounding Him. And guess what we're all doing? We're all singing. We're all worshiping, led by the angels. What that, that, that's, that old hymn, Holy, 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 that comes from the Bible. That is what is going to be sung of God for all of eternity. When we sing and worship here, it is practice for what we will spend all of eternity doing. Our lives on earth should be a living reflection of what we will experience in heaven, and that is worshiping God. Not just for an hour on Sunday, but in everything that we do. There's one other thing that we do at the beginning of every service when we pray. We make it clear when we start each service that we welcome the Holy Spirit of God into our worship service. The Holy Spirit is not an inanimate it. God's Holy Spirit is a person. He is welcome in our worship service. God's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is welcome in our worship services. God's Spirit continues to fill and flood the earth and everything around it as He has done since before creation. But we want to make sure that God knows and we want to make sure that you know that Holy Spirit is welcome here when we gather. It's important to me personally because I served a church once and I was really looking forward to starting because I'd heard about this awesome worship leader. I got there and he wasn't there. Somebody else was. Wasn't so fond of the person that they had hired. And I asked what happened to the other guy. And I found out that he has gone to another job in a, in a, in a bigger city in a, a really awesome church and was doing great. And I found out he got fired. He got fired because he was leading worship one Sunday. He was a keyboard player. Really cool guy. He was a keyboard player. And he'd gotten to a part where he does what those talented keyboard players do. And he carried the melody with his right hand and he put his left hand up in the air. After the service, the senior pastor said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just worshiping. I'm just welcoming the Holy Spirit. He said, you're fired. Clean out your office and go. I don't want you back. And the conversation that ensued, the senior pastor said, I do not allow the Holy Spirit in worship here because when He shows up, I lose all control. And I said, that's the whole point. In my mind, I'm thinking, I don't think I belong here. You don't allow the Holy Spirit because you want to be in control. Folks, we welcome God's Holy Spirit because God is always in control. It's a matter not of whether we welcome Him and allow Him control of our lives. In John 4.24, Jesus is speaking to this very spiritual Samaritan woman at the well. Very spiritual, like so many people in our world say they're spiritual, they're religious. But what she was missing was Jesus. And He says to her, because they're talking about worship, and where's the right place to worship? And he tells her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In order to do that, we've got to have an accurate understanding of who God is and what God's nature is and what the Bible says about being a spiritual being. And God is a spiritual being. Holy Spirit is a spiritual being. You can tell the Holy Spirit that he's not welcome, but you know what? He's going to go wherever it is that God sends him. So we need to have an accurate understanding so that we can worship God now and in heaven the way that we have been created to worship because God alone is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. But here's the thing that's so amazing. It isn't just us praising God and acknowledging He's worthy of all of our worship and praise. Do you know, do you know that the Bible says God loves to celebrate you? God doesn't worship you. We're not worthy of worship. Certainly not from God. 
But God loves to celebrate you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God loves to lavish you with affection. God loves to celebrate you. We talk about our three things as though they're separate pieces of a larger puzzle. In fact, they're not. The three of them work together independently, but as a cohesive whole to make the experience that we know as worship complete. What I mean by that is this. When we pray, some of you might pray in song. You might sing as though you're worshiping, but it might be your prayer. You might pray and be quoting and reciting Scripture verses that are meaningful to you. When you sing, it might be singing in a prayer, or you might be singing like the Psalms, which many of which were written as hymns. It may be Scripture that you're singing. We pray and we study and we worship to invite God into this space, into our lives. Because we grow in our faith by intentionally engaging with God through His Word, through prayer, and through worship. Adrian made the comment this last week that it's a little bit like going to Costco or Sam's Club. Hear me out. Some people, I understand, actually time their Costco and Sam's Club visits over lunch when all the free food samples are out. I've never been there at that time, but apparently that's a thing. The idea is that they're going to prepare something and you get a little paper cup and you get to taste it. And what they're hoping is by giving you a little bit of a taste of it, you're going to want to go to the freezer right behind me where you can buy more. You know, our hope on Sunday morning is when we gather that through God's Word and through prayer and through worship, it just is a taste that makes you want more. The best compliment to a message could be, it drove me back to the Bible to read more. The best statement about a worship service could be, you know what, when I got done, I was so moved to have someone help pray with me. The best compliment to our worship team could be, you know what, when you sang that song, I felt so alive. God was so real to me. I sang it all week long. It isn't about any of us up here. It's about that little sample that we get that's a glimpse of the future. That's a glimpse that we can carry with us into the rest of our week. The idea of wanting more was one of our first catchphrases. It's on the sign out uh, on the way to the township road. A church for people who know there's more. So many of us know that there is more of God and we're missing and we're not sure how to find Him or where to look. Where we find God is in His Word, through prayer, and through worship. Another one is passionately pursuing Jesus. It was our way of trying to describe who we were and what we were about and the attitude that you will encounter here. And what ended up happening is both of those phrases got kind of borrowed by a few other local churches. So you don't hear me say them so much anymore, but they're still true to who we are. But those three things, they're, they're summed up really nicely by James. James was the brother of Jesus. James ended up leading the first Christian church in Jerusalem. He wrote this in James 4.8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. James grew up with Jesus. He knew Him well. James, as the leader of the church, knew God extremely well. And what he knew is that what God wants more than anything is a relationship with you. God isn't trying to run from you. God isn't trying to hide or play hide and seek. God wants to be there. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Open God's Word, pray, worship, and God will be there. All of our three things are really about one simple thing. 
our three things are about a relational intimacy with God. What God wants is a relationship with you. It's why He sent us Jesus. What God wants more than anything else for you not to have to memorize or do all the right things or check things off your list. God wants relational intimacy with you. So if you were to take the, the three things and make them a daily part of your walk with Jesus, God's Word, a time of prayer, and a heart of worship, and if you combine those with a mission statement to love Jesus, to love people, and to teach people to love Jesus, you know what would happen? You would be well on your way to becoming a deeply rooted, deeply faithful disciple of Jesus. Guess what we see in the book of Acts? Disciples making disciples. Yeah, they connect for a reason. If you put into practice in your own life our three things, and if you take our mission statement and make it the mission statement of your life, you will be well on your way to becoming a deeply rooted, deeply faithful disciple of Jesus. And that is what we're supposed to be doing at church. We're supposed to be and we're supposed to help people become. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time of becoming that we're in in our faith, all of us. We haven't reached the goal. We're not there yet. God, you're patiently working with all of us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible that we can know is true, that we can find you, your heart, your character, your personality. We can find all of them in your word. We can also find your plan for us and for all people. God, it isn't a matter of us not being able to know. It's about us listening and being obedient and doing. So God, thank you for the three simple things that, that you sent us a man named Harlow to help us come to terms with and to accept as our foundation. God, thank you for what has become our mission statement because truly it focuses on you and other people. If we just took those two simple things, God, and put them into practice, we would indeed be on our way to becoming much deeply, much more deeply committed followers of yours. God, help us to be people who the world knows are Christians by the way that we love them and by the way that we celebrate and worship and honor you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Another one of our acts of worship is gifts and tithes and offerings. Collecting an offering is the way that, that we do it because it's just the most convenient. The act of worship is in the giving where we declare that we understand that everything we have is a gift from God and all that He does is ask us to return a portion of it to Him. So in this act of worship as we give our offering today, I want to say thank you for giving, thank you for generous hearts, and thank you for loving Jesus and helping us to carry out our mission to the world through this place. Would you please stand? Let's continue to worship. Well, that song sure gives you the possibilities. I suppose the question is, what's going to be your future, huh? I want to say thank you to all the folks that were a part of the health fair yesterday. Jeannie Cleary, who is our RN on our team, uh, was the visionary and the champion behind it. All of you that helped out, volunteered, and attended, thank you. This Friday, you are invited to a really, really cool event. Our whole church family is invited to our Recovery Church North 40 family gathering. They're going to start. I just found out after the service. I didn't understand it. They're offering dinner. So at 6 o'clock is dinner. And then they're going to uh, have a worship service and celebrate their fourth year as a ministry. And if you don't, yeah, woohoo! If you don't know what's happening there, you owe it to yourself to go to find out. 
It is awesome. And so it's just an extension of our church family that meets over there on Friday night, like Wednesday nights, is an extension of our church family that meets here. They have invited all of us next Friday, this coming Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, next week, we're going to start a study on the book of Galatians. Galatians is kind of the becoming book in the Bible. How is it that we grow? How do we become Christian disciples of Jesus? How do we grow in our faith? So we're going to start with Galatians 1. You can read that. Cindy told me what the kids are studying this year is the Bible, and there's an acronym for it, and it's this. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Right? That's what the kids are going to be doing. We're going to be doing the same thing here on Sunday morning, so how about that? Uh, we got one more song before we go. Thank you for coming. Have a great week, everybody. Last thought I'll say is this. You see the lights are on in front. The lines for prayer are now forming. You want to hurry and not be in the end of the line, but it'll be worth it if you are. Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week.